What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. Well, good morning, Park Church. Go ahead and find your seats for me, and we will read God's Word together. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. What a joy it is to be together this Easter. Missed the body of Christ last year on this day. All right, 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be reading verses 1 through 20. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are all of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Are you in awe of Easter? It's not, it's not my goal this morning to, to be really clever up here, to say something that you've never heard before. Most of you would say, I've heard this story dozens of times. If you're a parent and you're reading it to your child and it becomes their favorite story, you've read it hundreds or thousands of times. And so there's probably no special angle that I'm gonna bring to you this morning that you're like, wow, I have never heard that before. Um, so that's not my goal. My goal is that you would leave here this morning and say, this story moves me. This story astonishes me and exhilarates my soul. I'm building my life around this story. So Paul leads off this section that we just looked at and stay turned in 1 Corinthians 15. We're gonna be referencing it for our message this morning. 
But he begins with these words where he says, Christ, or sorry, he says, I, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. And that's where I want to begin, just reminding you of the gospel, reminding you that Christianity is not at its core a rule for you to obey. It's not a principle for you to find, to discover, and that's the key to unlocking life. It's not a path for you to follow. At the heart and the essence of our faith is good news and the proclamation of a story that forms good news for our lives. So the rest of this text now is talking about this good news. And he says in verses three through four to kind of encapsulate, to summarize the gospel, he says, Christ died for our sins, was buried and was raised on the third day. And here's Paul saying, the death of Christ was so important. The burial of Jesus was so important. These things fulfilled prophecy, but the resurrection of Jesus is the climax of the good news. It is the pinnacle of the story that we build our lives around. And so the rest of this text then is showing us three things about the resurrection. Paul's going to show us the primacy of Easter, the proof of Easter, and the promise of Easter. So number one, I said the primacy of Easter. Primacy is simply a word that means of utmost importance. It literally means first in order, in rank, or importance. And you look at this in verse three with me, where Paul says, of first importance is the resurrection of Jesus. And he uses a single Greek word there that again, literally means first in rank or in value. Okay, let me just begin here with a couple of questions for you. Just think for yourself, don't think for someone else. Don't think for a spouse or a friend or the person that you brought with you who needs to ask these questions. Think for you, what is of first importance in your life? What is the primary thing that you value? It's foremost in your affections. You love this more than you love anything else. You value it, you treasure it more than anything else. You're building your life around it. So in day-to-day, -day, just everyday street-level life, this keeps coming back over and over again because it's of first importance to you. Is it the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or is it something as kind of as sloppy and regular as just the American dream, just, just comfort plus happiness plus wealth, and we've arrived, we've made it, and we're living like everyone else. And the things that are of first importance perhaps to some of us are the same things that are of first importance to anyone. And the resurrection is not making a difference so that's the first question. The second set of questions is, what do you think non-Christians out there, what do you think they assume the American church holds as of first importance? So as they observe from a distance or even as they interact with different ones of us on social media in real life around the office, what do you think non-believers would assume this is what you guys think is the most important thing? And in the, the political and the cultural tensions that we've all seen just amp up over the past year, I wonder if many of our non-Christian friends and neighbors would say, it seems like particular issues, maybe around race or law enforcement or immigration or vaccinations or masks or not masks, you know, all these things seem to take the loudest voice in the Christian church sometimes. And so at a, at a minimum, if we're gonna say 
the Easter message, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is prime in our lives. It's of first importance. Then this morning, many of us want to take this opportunity for a recalibration just simply saying, Lord, as I see my own heart, I do not value the resurrection of Jesus more than anything else, but I want to, and I want my day-to-day life to be shaped by this hope, by this grace, by this joy, by this new life after death. So I'll give you time at the end of this message to pray if you don't even wanna just stop right now and do that. Paul reinforces the fact that the resurrection is primary He uses this rhetorical device known as the if-then statement in verses 14 through 19. Look again, verse 14, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 17, the second time he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then the third time in verse 19, he says, if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. What he's saying is if this did not actually happen, if Jesus did not actually walk out of his own tomb on the third day on what we think of today as Easter morning, then what I'm wasting my time doing right now is literally a waste of my time and yours. Your faith, the the whole system of it crumbles if this one piece of it is not true. And he says, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Because the idea is we do make intentional sacrifices in everyday life because we believe there's a treasure laid up for us in heaven and we're, we're laboring for Christ because of the free grace we've received in Christ, but we're giving up stuff. Why would we do that if there's no afterlife, if there's no end of the story. So the entire Christian gospel rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we haven't gathered this morning. Nobody wants to waste your time just hearing a a feel-good story about a Jewish rabbi who came and loved everyone except the Pharisees and the religious, you know, the professionals who were just self-righteous jerks. And he didn't like them or didn't seem to. He probably loved them, but he didn't seem to get along with them. But you're like, yeah, I respect even that. I don't like self-righteous people either, you know? But we're not coming just to celebrate what a great teacher, what a great miracle worker, what, what an exemplary sacrificial death. I want to die like that someday. We're not doing that because if there's no resurrection, then there's no power, no efficacy in the story of Jesus to save you at all. So let's go home and do something else. Let's go to brunch and have avocado toast, right? So we're talking a lot in our culture right now about vaccines, okay? And I don't mean like to to split our church into like cultures and disagreement and stuff. Let's just focus on one key point about vaccines. They're designed by science, by medicine, to contain something that provokes a response from your immune system to a perceived threat and they train it kind of to perceive a particular kind of threat. And the idea is I take this vaccination in my arm and and weeks or months later, if my body sees that same or a similar threat again, it knows attack that and destroy that thing 
so that you yourself are not harmed. Now let's imagine you go in the coming weeks and you get your two vaccinations or your one, but someone has switched out the COVID vaccine with saline solution. And so you're just getting two shots of salt water. You could have all the faith in the world that those shots are gonna do something for you to protect you so you can kind of get back into normal, ease back into relationships and face-to-face contact and finally get rid of the masks. And you know what? Your faith would be in vain because what's in that little shot has no power to protect you from the coronavirus. And Paul's saying something like that here where he's saying, my real point is if Christ has died and not risen, then you can put all the faith you want in the story, but it won't do anything for you. But the real point and why he's sharing this type of rhetorical device is he's saying, but let's, let's flip the major premise and let's assume that Christ is raised. Then what? Then our proclamation of good news lands somewhere with the power of God. And, and our faith system is built on something really gracious and really loving and really beautiful and really powerful. And so we are not to be most pitied in this life. We are to be most envied because we have the best life now because we're walking in the purposes of God and we get Jesus forever, okay? That's what he's actually saying. So if the resurrection didn't happen, there's no good, good news for anyone. If it did happen, it changes everything and should be of first importance to our individual lives, our families, and our church. Now, how can we know? Well, Paul goes on here to say, how would we know if he died and rose again or if he died and stayed dead? He says, follow the evidence. And this is point two, the proof of Easter. There are many, many, many proofs of Easter. I'm gonna share just the three that are in this text, okay? First of all, verses three and four, Paul says, I want you to notice that the death and resurrection of Jesus was prophesied long before it ever happened. Okay, this is verses three and four. He says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and Christ raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, he's saying the death and the resurrection of Jesus didn't just happen. They were prophesied. And you can go back to the Old Testament and you can read stories that hint at a death and a resurrection. Jesus himself will later even tell the story of Jonah, that as Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days and then coughed up to this kind of new life, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth and rise on the third day, and so on. 1 Peter 2, 10 through 11 says something to this effect. The prophets of the Old Testament, these, these people who are writing the words that the Spirit is inspiring, it says they themselves, as they're writing down the sufferings of Christ and the glories that will follow, they're sitting there saying, who is this? I mean, we know it's the Messiah. We know it's the servant of the Lord, but they didn't know the name Jesus of Nazareth. And they're longing to look into these things. And Jesus comes along and himself says in Matthew 17, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And my point is that if you're, if you're an honest seeker and you're saying, how would I know if this happened or not? You can go back 700 or 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus and see these prophecies that say the real son of God, the real Messiah, the real king will come and this will happen to him. Okay, so that's looking back. Now, a second line of evidence that Paul presents here, verses five through eight, is he says, and it's important to realize Jesus died, but then he was seen alive after 
his death. Okay, when the disciples eventually interacted with Jesus on Easter morning, and by the way, isn't it interesting? If you're reading this story as a skeptic, and you say, well, they were just, the disciples were just predisposed to believe in a resurrection. So they, 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 were, they were overcome with grief and they just kind of were fantasizing, right? They were, they were imagining that they saw Jesus. But the reality is, if you read the Synoptic Gospels, that not a single disciple believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. Not a single one went to the tomb on Easter morning just to check out and see if it might happen. Not one. They said, Mary and Mary went to anoint the dead body of Jesus and the tomb was empty. Well, the empty tomb by itself doesn't say a whole lot. Maybe someone did steal his body. Maybe the animals got to him. Maybe something weird happened, right? Um, But Paul says a whole bunch of skeptics saw him. The disciples saw him. James saw him. Paul says, I saw him. 500 people at one time saw him. And in fact, many of them are still alive. So if you're a skeptic, you can go interrogate them and ask them, what did you see? That's his second line of evidence. Jesus, the tomb was empty and Jesus was seen alive. Now, the third one in verses one and two and then verses eight through 11, and this one's so important. And I think this one's less of a a, a kind of an academic or an intellectual barrier that needs to come down. It's more of a social or an emotional barrier that needs to come down. But this is so important because the third line of evidence that Paul presents that Jesus really died and he really rose from the dead is simply the fact that a multi-ethnic and diverse community of transformed lives resulted from whatever happened on Easter morning. Okay, look at verse one again, where he says, now I would remind you brothers and sisters. And we say brothers and sisters in church sometimes, but do you know who Paul was talking to? He's writing this letter to a whole bunch of, and if you read the letter of 1 Corinthians, you understand these are some of the most pagan, idolatrous, and immoral Christians that you can imagine. And he's writing to these Gentiles who are really struggling to apply even the basic tenets of their faith. And he's writing to a few Jews who have left Judaism and converted to be Messianic Jews, as we would say today. They're following Jesus. And in his former life as an Orthodox follower of Judaism, Paul would have hated these people. He would have despised these people. And here he's writing to them, brothers and sisters, let me remind you of the gospel, which reaches its apex in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice he goes on in verses eight through 11 to share his personal testimony. He says, I was persecuting the church. I was, I was arresting and imprisoning and murdering Christians. And how is it that I now am preaching the very gospel I once set out to destroy? He says, it's because I myself encountered the living risen Jesus. I met him and where I deserve to be crushed because I got the story wrong, I received grace. And it's by the grace of God, by the grace of the risen Jesus that I am what I am. And I wanna say that we need to understand one of the One of the greatest witnesses to the resurrection is simply the fact that there's a Christian church today. And do you understand that this, we we lose sight of this in America, but do you understand that this is not, Christianity is not a middle-class white Western phenomenon? It's not. Do you know that every, uh, I just lost the word for it, every landmass continent, thank you, Every landmass that's by itself that I learned in kindergarten is called a continent. 
has more than 10 million Christians. Most of them have more than 100 million Christians, except for, of course, Antarctica, which is a big block of ice. Um, but, but what does that speak to? What does it speak to that today where the gospel is flourishing and people are turning their lives over to a risen Jesus is not predominantly in the United States or Canada or white Western Europe. The three places the gospel is just flying right now are the Middle East and Latin America and Sub-Saharan Africa. Why? Because the risen Jesus is not only reconciling us to the Father, he's also reconciling us to one another and a beautiful fabric, a tapestry of ethnicities and social classes and vocations and politics is one of the greatest evidences of the power and the truth of the resurrection, okay? And friends, let me just conclude this point by saying Christianity is easily the world's most falsifiable religion, what do I mean falsifiable? I mean, it's not just making invisible, far-off claims about if you believe this story, um, you'll get evacuated one day and you're like, well, how could, I, how could I know if that's true or not? But in fact, the Christian gospel is the very opposite of just an invisible, how would I ever know? It's not verifiable. It's the opposite of that because it's saying our Savior walked on this earth and died and raised from the dead in real space-time history. And people, after he died and rose from the dead, they touched him. They ate fish with him. Okay? Prove any of this false and Christianity would cease to exist in a generation. But precisely because this good news is true, here's what it means for you and me. Point three, the promise of Easter. And just two simple things here. The first from verse three and verses 17 and 18. Notice that the promise is, the promise of the resurrection the promise of the empty tomb, the promise of a king enthroned in heaven is that God himself has dealt decisively with our sin and death. Verse three says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It's a reference to, to scriptures like what we read on Good Friday, just two nights ago, like Isaiah 53. And I'll read just a portion of this, but understand Isaiah said what he said 700 years before the birth of Jesus of Nazareth on this earth. And this is what he said in part. He said, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single one of us to his or her own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus comes and says, prophecies like that, I am that servant. And though I've done nothing wrong, though I've always pleased the Father, why am I going to an old rugged cross? It's because I'm taking your sin. I'm paying your debt. And how do we know that God accepted it, that he was the true Messiah, that he wasn't just a sham, just saying that he was gonna do something for us, which he had no authority to do? Well, the resurrection is the Father's way of demonstrating once and for all, I accept his finished sacrifice on the cross. He's different from every other Messiah who came before him or after him because they died and stayed dead. He rose from the grave because it's the Father's way of saying, I have dealt decisively with your sin. I forgive your sin. I set you free from your sin. Now walk in freedom. The second and final promise here in this text is the promise is that the renewal 
The resurrection of all things has broken into the brokenness and the death of this present age. Look at verse 20 again, the last verse that was read for us. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? Well, yesterday, as many of you did, we took advantage of this beautiful warm day to work in our garden, to go through all this stuff that had died off from last year and is laying there and feeding all the nitrogen and the nutrients back into the soil and is keeping it warm. But it's just a blanket of various shades of brown and gray, right? And we go out there yesterday morning with all these bags and we just start breaking off and clipping off all that old dead stuff. And the boys were going to town and ripping out all kinds of little green things. And I'm like, no, let's, let's keep the green. Let's, let's remove the brown. Um, but, but what are we seeing as those little green shoots are coming up in these flowers here and these flowers here. And then in this one little bed that Marty, my wife was working in, the, the mint. And this time of year, it just looks like a bunch of brown twigs, thousands of little brown twigs and cutting that all off to make room for the thing that will eventually take over the world, which is mint. If you don't know, if you have to contain it or it goes everywhere and it just grows and grows and grows. But as I'm working there, I just thought, what a beautiful metaphor of verse 20. This is exactly it, right? That all winter long stuff has just laid there and it looked dead, looked like the end of the story. But then about this time of year, by God's kindness, around Easter in the Northern Hemisphere, stuff starts poking through. And I know this is going to be different kinds of lettuce because that's what was planted here. And I know that this is going to be mint because that's what was planted here. And these are the first fruits so they know more stuff like this is coming. Well, what, what Paul is saying is if Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead, then we know that we ourselves who place our faith in him and just say, Jesus, I trust you plus nothing for my eternity, for my hope. We know we rise like he rose, but we also know that resurrection and renewal and a new creation have broken into the current brokenness and death of our world. Okay, so that means that when you go to labor in your vocations this week and work on a relationship and sow back into a relationship that just feels dead, it, it, it can work precisely because resurrection isn't just a metaphor. It works because it's a real thing. And I'll say again, there has been an inbreaking of hope, an inbreaking of joy, an inbreaking of grace, an inbreaking of new and eternal life because Jesus himself is the first fruits. So let's come and land this. I, I want to simply say if this good news is true as it appears to be from the evidence, and this is the present and the future promise that's contained in this good news, why would this not be the central controlling principle of your life? Why would, this, why, why, why would you not say, this is of first importance to me? God, help me to build my life around this amazing hope, this amazing power that you have in store for people who simply believe in Jesus. Now I'll close with this invitation and you're not, it's not an invitation to walk an aisle because I hope everyone's responding to the word of God. But I wanna simply say, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, what prevents you from making the resurrection the center of your life? What practically day-to-day -day is popping up that, that, that disables you from beholding the beauty and the glory and the wonder 
of the resurrection of Jesus and saying, I'm gonna build my life around this. So when I go to work and something seems dead, I'm gonna say, no, 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 this was the first fruits and it's here and it's coming and it's unstoppable. So let's go, okay? Pray those kinds of prayers. Surrender to that kind of work that God wants to do through you. And if you're not a believer and you're here this morning or you're joining us on the live stream, first of all, just thank you for coming and honoring someone that, that brought you, maybe a, a spouse or a neighbor or a coworker. And thank you for taking this time to celebrate Easter with us or at least explore some of this truth. And I would simply invite you with this invitation to explore what are my barriers? I mean, I've heard some evidence this morning. You can pick up some other, I mean, there are great books out there actually written by people who set out to prove the resurrection false. And in the course of their study, they found so much evidence that was contrary to their own preconceptions. They actually became followers of Jesus. And you can read these books and you can examine the evidence and you can say, if it's an intellectual barrier, maybe I lack information. If it's a, if it's a social barrier and I characterize Christians a certain way, because let's be honest, Christians are a certain way especially in America. That's why I shared the hope that God is doing something that's more diverse and more multi-ethnic and actually cares more about justice and the future and the planet and all that stuff than what some Christians are into. But if you're just looking at Christians, I, my question is, what are the barriers to you to saying, if this is true, then this should be the center of my life. And I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my energy centering it on something that's lesser than this. So examining what is my alternate faith story and I, my invitation is, would you turn this morning from believing in those things to believing in the Savior who gave his life for you on a cross to erase the record of your sin, to reconcile you to the Father and to bring you home. The first fruits are here. The first fruits are here. Since Christ is risen from the dead, let us orient our lives around him, our risen King and the implications of his resurrection. Father, we pray that you would work this hope down deep in our soul, that our, our joy, our celebration, and I, I love just the, the, the tone of the first service earlier this morning and the, just the spirit of joy that's pouring out of your people in this room and over in the highlands and all across the city and in fact, all around the world today. But Lord, may the same joy be in our hearts when we wake up tomorrow and something hard is happening. May we continue to orient our lives around a risen savior, a risen king who conquered death, who conquered our sin, who conquered the adversary. Lord, may Satan feel pain today because he is falling like lightning. And the end of the story is written and he loses and Jesus wins and we follow you with all of our lives, King Jesus. It's in your name, for your sake, for your glory that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.